We're going to dive a little deeper this morning into this word forgiveness. You'll want to be here on Wednesday nights to receive what God has for you. But I knew that many won't be able to be here on Wednesday nights, so I'm delivering sort of the precursor to emotional discipleship. Um, why the shovel? Well, we're going to dig a little deeper this morning. There's a story behind this uh, as it relates to some of the byproducts of forgiveness. Jealousy, intimidation, manipulation, resentment, bitterness. There's a lot of other contributing factors. When I was a 16-year-old teenager, uh, I'm the son of a, of a pastor. I was raised in a PK's home, and so I have this. Uh, my father was a working pastor, he, and he taught us the value of work. So, uh, as the story goes, uh, we were out, uh, this is midsummer, digging about a 400-foot waterline trench, and I had my shovel, and it was just Dad and I in the hot, hot sun. It was a miserable day to be digging a waterline trench, and I'm digging away, I'm shoveling, and getting the dirt out of the trench is that I'm as I'm doing this it's just me and him and I'm miserable in the hot sun and I'm saying my god these sorry lazy members aren't out here helping us dig this trench I'm having to do it all by myself and I can't believe that they're not support out here supporting us and we're having to do this all alone dad overheard my mumbling and my groaning and my complaining and he wanted, wanted to ward off the, this attitude of resentment that he saw festering in me. And he said, son, if that's the way you feel about it, go ahead and just take your shovel on and put it in the shed. I looked at him and I said, I'm not going to leave you out here to dig this trench by yourself. I'm going to stay here with you. He said, but you've got the wrong attitude, and if you don't have the right attitude... You've lost your reward already. Never forgot that. Later on, when I would become a pastor, I shared that with my elders, and one of my elders said, Oh, so he told you to take your shovel to the shed, huh? It sort of became a catchphrase among us from then on. So anytime anybody would begin to fester an attitude of resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness, we'd say, hey, take your shovel to the shed. So today we're going to talk about taking your shovel to the shed. So I thought I'd use a little prop here so you would get the idea of what I meant by it. Why don't you stand with me for a second? Would you stretch your hand toward me and just pray that the Lord would give me the words that would impact this body today? Father, 
Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive all the fullness that you have for us today. We love you. We thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the impact that the Holy Spirit brings when the word of God is illuminated to us. So let revelation come and let us see insights into the dimension of forgiveness that we've never seen before, that it may bring wholeness and healing, not only to our individual lives, but in this community of believers, that we may impact the culture and you may be glorified in all that we do say as we live as Christ followers to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. In Jesus' name, let it happen. Be glorified in your church, Lord. Amen and amen. Be seated in the presence of the Lord. So let's dive a little deeper into this today. Colossians chapter 3, and you can follow along. Um, I don't have three points in a poem today, I, but I do have some nuggets, and you may want to grasp hold of these today as we look at this idea of forgiveness. Verses 23 through 25, I'm reading from the Amplified Version. I like the word amplified. So I read from that a lot. Whatever you do, whatever your task may be, work from the soul. That is, put in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men. Knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord, not from men, that you will receive the inheritance, which is your greatest reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you actually serve. For he who does wrong will be punished for his wrongdoing. And with God there is no partiality. Say that with me. No partiality. No special treatment based on a person's position in life. Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 through 24 so, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and while there, you remember that your brother has something such as a grievance or legitimate complaint against you, leave your offering there at the altar and go, first make peace with your brother, and then come and present your offering. So as we deal with this issue today, this is a matter of the heart. This is a heart issue. And since we're known as heart of the Father, we are to deal with issues of the heart. We're here to tackle the tough ones. We're here to look at those things that bring tension in our lives. The subjects of forgiveness. Now, I will admit that it's impossible today for me to address all facets of this subject in the short time frame I have. However, Today, the goal and objective is that you will be equipped with the Word of God as we, as the community of God, seek to be equipped with Christ's fulfillment of the mandate that He gave us to forgive. 
So be here Wednesday night. We're going to dive even deeper into this as Brandon begins to open this up to us in, in dimensions that I think are going to serve us. And there's going to be time for prayer and healing and all kinds of different dimensions that the Lord's going to open up to us. But let's dive a little deeper into this. C.S. Lewis once said, Everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Hmm. When it's on me, now it's personal. Now it takes on a whole new dimension of reality. And I have to deal with it. You and I have to deal. Am I talking to the right group this morning? How many has ever felt the spirit of unforgiveness come on you? Just am I t- Yeah, hello. And the rest of you who didn't raise your hand. Hello. I'm talking to the right group. Forgiveness is only made possible through Christ who forgave us. By definition, it is an act in which one person releases another from an offense, refusing to enact penalty due him or her, and refusing to sustain consideration of the cause of the offense, and refusing to allow that offense to affect the relationship. Hello, somebody. I'm refusing to, I have to make a choice. I'm refusing to allow an offense to affect my relationship. Well, we don't agree with you because, so we're going to sit on this side of the church and you sit on, hello? Sometimes we go to church together, we're in a body of believers, we're here to worship, but if there's an offense that has occurred, we separate ourselves in relationship and refuse to fellowship with one another. Such forgiveness releases one from a sense of unresolved guilt. It restores a clear conscience and restores relationship. To forgive is not to condone the sin as acceptable, to say it made no difference, or to license repetition of it. Rather, forgiveness is a choice. A decision made to no longer hold an offense against another person or another group. Well, I don't like the way they did that here, so I'm leaving the church. Let me give you a revelation that helped me. You are the church. We are the church. Hello? You can geographically go somewhere else to another building to, to connect with a, another a group, but you're the church. Christ has called you out of this world, out of darkness, into light, to make a difference. Boy, if America ever needs healing, if our nation ever needs healing, the only way we're going to have healing is to let forgiveness become a primary component of our culture and our nation. We need to learn. We don't know how to forgive well. 
Let's just face it. I've often observed that in Christian communities, one thing we preach the most is repentance. But by nature, we don't repent well. We like to hold on to it and hide it and harbor it. Peter asked Jesus this question in Matthew 18. He says to him, Lord, how many times should I forgive when my brother sins against me? How, how, how long do I let it go? Up to seven times? He thought, you know, Peter, I always characterize him as the mouth of the south. Peter, Peter would say things just right off the cuff. So he thought he was doing Jesus a favor. How many times? Jesus, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm one of your closest disciples. I'll never deny you. I'm with you. I'm on your team. Seven times? That's good, Jesus says. No. Seven's a good starting place, but I say to you, 70 times seven. 70 times seven. I want you to learn the art of forgiveness. I want you to learn how to forgive. So I want you to practice it 490 times a day. Until you get it. Until you get it. Otherwise, you need to take your shovel to the shed. Hello. If you don't get it, you need to get it. You need to learn it. Anybody here in this body believe we need to learn how to forgive? We need to extend forgiveness. I'm, in, I'm, I'm only teaching this today because I want to be a student of forgiveness. And I'm bringing this today long before Brandon ever announced that we were going to be doing emotional discipleship because I usually try to preach where, out of where the Lord's dealing with me, things that he's impacting my life with. Yep, forgiveness. Some things I've had to let go of. Some things I need to let go of. Am I talking to the right people this morning? There's some things going on with you that you need to let go of. Let's dive a little deeper. Thankfulness, here's a nugget. Thankfulness decontaminates that which could hurt you. Be thankful. You want the decontamination? Lord, just hose me down with Holy Ghost Clorox. <laughs> just decontaminate. I need the, your, your decontaminating presence in my spirit because some people are just looking to be hurt. Go ahead. Knock it off. I got that chip on my shoulder. And I'm just waiting for somebody to say something. Just knock that chip off so I can be hurt. Thankfulness. Learn thankfulness. Learn to be thankful. It's been said that a spirit of bitterness is murder in diapers. <laughs> Unforgiveness defiles and destroys the vessel it's in. Senator Alan Simpson said at the memorial service for President George H.W. Bush, hatred 
always corrodes the container it's carried in. We receive forgiveness according to the forgiveness we give. Yet, as has already been said, there's a tension in the room. There is a conflict climate that we live in right now. The question isn't who is on God's side. The question is, are we on His side? Because there are things that God despises and there are things that God loves. Mike Bickle once said, God's anger is always aimed at whatever interferes with love. God desires for us that we become redemptive solutions. Anybody want to be a redemptive solution here today? That's where I sense the Lord's calling me. Now, I'm headed somewhere with this, so stay with me. The problem with bitterness or unforgiveness when it creeps into my spirit, when my volume increases, my influence decreases. Where there is no wood, the fire goeth out. Our words are like wood. Just throw another log on the fire and increase that volume. My wife says this to me sometimes. Well, you always have to win the argument because you can out-talk me. I said, just stay with me, though. You have 10,000 words a day, and I only have seven. So you've got three more than I've got. Hang on. Had to learn not to put any more logs on the fire so it'll go out. Bitter people, unforgiving people, are not trustworthy. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. Be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior, yet do not sin. Do not let your anger cause you to shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. And do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. When we talk about the aspects of forgiveness, Jesus taught this to his disciples in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Mark Rutland has written a book called 21 Seconds That Will Change Your Life. It takes 21 seconds to pray the Lord's Prayer. He prays it about five or six times every day. It was a little humorous that a mother had heard her little boy praying at his bedside one night. They'd been learning the Lord's Prayer in Sunday school. And as he was praying, he got to the part of forgiveness and he was having a little trouble navigating the word trespasses. And he prayed it this way. And Lord, forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our baskets. (laughs) 
He, the theology was pretty close. Because sometimes people put trash in our baskets. And we need to learn how to empty the basket out. And we need to learn how to forgive. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For if you forgive others their trespasses, their reckless and willful sin. But they did it willingly. They did it knowingly. They knew what they were doing to me. He said, their reckless and willful sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, nurturing your hurt, I have a right to be hurt. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to let it manifest bitterness and resentment and jealousy and anger and resentment. And you hold on to that. You nurture it with the result that it interferes with your relationship with God. Did you hear me, body? The result will be it will interfere with your relationship with God. Then your Father will not forgive your trespasses. Woe, somebody, take my shovel to the shed. My Heavenly Father won't forgive my trespasses. So Jesus says here, you are responsible because you set the standard for forgiveness. As you forgive, you will be forgiven. But if you withhold forgiveness, you will not be forgiven. That's pretty powerful. That makes an impact. What happens to us when we hold on to our past? John Bevere said in the book, the bait of Satan, an offended heart is the breeding ground of deception. An offended heart is the breeding ground of deception. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 17, verses 1 through 3, stumbling blocks, temptations, and traps set to lure one to sin are sure to come. They're coming, ladies and gentlemen, and they're coming for you. If you can be offended, someone, as Brandon just said a minute ago, is going to rub you the wrong way. You'll think you've been drinking sandpaper. It's going to be an abrasive to your life. The enemy has set traps for you. And may I tell you, it's impossible to live this life. You're not going to be able to be shielded or protected from it. Offenses are going to come. The question is, how will you deal with it? They're sure to lure you one to sin. They're sure to come. But woe, judgment is coming to him through whom they come. Pay attention and always be on guard, looking out for one another. Hello, believers. We're to look out for each other. We're to help guard one another's heart. If your brother sins and disgraces God's precepts, solemnly warn him. And if he repents and changes, forgive him. 
even if he sins against you seven times a day. I'm not making this up. This is the real word of the living God. Even if he sins against you seven times a day and says, I repent, you must forgive him. <laughs> Hello. Isn't that wonderful? No, it's not. It hurts and it rubs me the wrong way and I don't like it because it goes against the grain of my flesh. You forgive him. That is, give up resentment and consider the offense recalled and annulled. Is that what Christ has done for you and I? Did he recall all of our sins and offenses and annul them through his shed blood on the cross? If he's done that for you and I, guess what? If we name his name as our Lord and Savior, he expects us to do the same. I must predetermine, listen to this. I must predetermine that I, have, that I am prepared to live redemptively. Hmm. Puts a whole new perspective on my relationship with Christ. I am preparing every day of my life to learn to live redemptively. Therefore, I am prepared to forgive even before I'm sinned against. I'm prepared to forgive even before someone sins against me. Make it up in your mind. Don't just wait. Well, just come on. I'm just waiting for you to offend me. Well, you can take your shovel to the shed. Because you're going to lose your reward. Listen, I'm talking to you because I love you. I'm talking to you because I'm right here with you. I'm one of you. I just happen to have the microphone today. And I'm just here to say to us, don't let the devil set a trap for us because he's going to try to trip us up if he can. And let's not fall into the trap. Let's already have prepared our minds and our souls and our spirits and said, I'm prepared to live redemptively. I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. And Scripture says if I do that, I have fellowship one with another. And the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah be to God. Oh, I love his word, don't you? You know what this message is all about? More than just forgiveness. You know where forgiveness will lead me to? This wonderful word, I'm about to increase the volume. Freedom! It leads me to freedom. Freedom was why Christ died. To set us free from the law of sin and death. How many want to learn to live free? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, listen, it's a new adventure every day. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Wipe the slate clean. Every day you ought to start anew and afresh with your Savior and your Lord and your Master. 
Jesus says, why are you calling me Lord and don't do the things that I command you to do? How many understand commands are not optional? This is not a democracy, it's a theocracy. We do the bidding of the king. We take on his nature. I was driving in this morning, I was trying to, I was just mulling over in my mind some things because this thing, every time I watch this video clip of Caleb's apology, I, it breaks me up. I'm going to date myself. These kinds of TV shows aren't on television anymore. But how many remember the old television show, Father Knows Best? Anybody remember Father? It's not Father Knows Best anymore. It's all in the family. It's the modern family. You know, and the kids are telling the parents what to do. Father knows best. The kids did nothing until they got fathers okay. Hmm? Well, I'm talking to us kids. Father knows best. And you don't need to do anything until you get fathers okay. Get his okay first. And if you get his okay, it'll keep you out of a whole heap of trouble. And you won't have to take your shovel to the shed. Right? Hallelujah. He does know best. I'm predetermined to forgive before I'm sinned against. It doesn't mean that I'm saying sin's okay. It just means that I've made provision in my life that I'm posturing myself in this place. Paul said, having done all to stand, then stand. Gird yourself up. Be prepared. You're in spiritual warfare. And if you're going to live redemptively, you need to have a shield of faith out there to quench the fiery darts of the enemy that are coming against you. Psalm 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive our sins, sending them away, completely letting them go forever and ever, and abundant in loving kindness and overflowing in mercy, to all those who call upon you. Hallelujah. What happens when I hold on to my past? I can't move forward in bringing redemptive and creative solutions. One of the greatest deceptions of the enemy is to keep us married to yesterday. So I've already alluded to it. Ephesians 4.26 Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's been... Our, speaking of mine and Madeline, that's been our one foundational anchor is we don't let the sun. I've had to say to her sometimes because I know when she's, when I've maxed her out. Oh Y'all are, go ahead and laugh, women, because you know. Your husband knows when he's maxed you out. Madeline's max out phrase is, I'm done. Don't go any further. I'm done. And I wasn't going to use you in this sermon illustration this morning, but the Holy Spirit. I may get an I'm done on the way home. The anchor is 48 years don't let the sun go down on your wrath. 48, 48. 
It's a lot of years. I've been married longer than I ever lived at home in my mom and daddy's house. Long time. Raised three youngins. Approaching nine grand youngins. You got to have an anchor. Some point you got to let the slate be cleaned. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Produce fruit worthy of repentance. Luke chapter 3. Produce fruit worthy of repentance. Consistent with repentance. What does it look like? That is changed lives. Turn from sin and seek after God's righteousness. And do not even begin to say to yourselves as a defense, we have our father Abraham. And so our heritage assures us of salvation. I'm I'm saved. You know, we sing that. I'm saved and I know that I am. I just sing them as they come to me. I'm saved and I know that I am. You ever sung that one before? Some of you, yeah, I'm saved. I'm saved. It assures us my heritage, my family. Listen to what he says. For I say to you that these stones God is able to raise up children or descendants for Abraham. For God can replace the unrepentant, regardless of their heritage, with those who are obedient. Anybody ever read, to obey is better than sacrifice? Mm -hmm. Even now the axe of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. So that the tree that does not produce good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus said, either make the tree all good or it's all bad. You'll know them by the fruit they bear. Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. I've got to produce fruit in my life. It doesn't mean that what people do to us like cheating or lying or stealing from us is okay. It simply means I'm not going to be controlled by another person's actions. I'm not letting the spirit of bitterness dictate to me my thoughts and my feelings. you got to be true to who the Spirit of the Lord says you are. You find your identity in Him, not in what another person tells you. I'm going to rise above my circumstances And because I'm going to be a redemptive contributor to society, what happens when I become bitter? What happens when I become unforgiving? It means that I'm holding on to a past that I can't move forward and I can't bring redemptive solutions into my life and into the lives of others. It's the one thing that the enemy can use against us from becoming a positive influence in culture because I'm married to yesterday. I'm saying to somebody this morning, let go of yesterday. Cut it loose. As one preacher preached, you look back and 
I forget those things which were behind me. I press toward the prize of the mark of the high call in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Hallelujah. As one of my preacher buddies said, he was preaching a New Year's message, and he said, man, this year's been a tough year. He said, but I'm looking back and I'm saying, bye-bye, Felicia. Wave bye-bye. Look back over your shoulder and say, bye-bye, past. That was my old identity, but I'm stepping into my new identity. For if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Hallelujah be to God. Oh, I love that. All things are becoming new. I'm not married to yesterday. When we claim spiritual realities, when we claim spiritual realities, there must be or there has to be measurable change in the natural. There ought to be measurable change. In other words, if I'm holding on and I'm saying, this promise, Lord, I claim it, I let go of my past, I am that new creature, I'm that new creation, there's a change in my behavior that takes place. How do you say you love God whom you can't see and hate your brother whom you can see? Boy, and he just, he just this is a t- take your shovel to the shed moment. He says, if you say that, you're a liar. You can't love God and hate your brother. I can't let the sun go down on my anger if I intend to live at peace with God and with men. So I start my day with the purpose of determining this. God, today I'm going to live in freedom. Today I'm going to live in liberty. If I don't, if I do not, the thorn of unforgiveness gets under my skin. It rubs me the wrong way. It fouls and it festers. And woven into my personality, it will become part of the fabric of my life and my consciousness. It will affect my thinking. And the longer I leave it there, the more it will define me. You ever run into people that bitterness defines who they are? unforgiveness defines who they are. I usually find when I run into people like that and, I, and, and they start telling me their story and I'm trying to get to the root of the problem of really where it is when I know it's really within them and I'll say, where is, what's the root of the problem? They did it. It's never... And I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't some hurts, unthinkable things that have been done to people in this room. When I think of it, and I think of the gravity and the magnitude of it, my heart breaks. I weep because I, I, I feel the, the spirit and how the enemy torments 
and tempts and exhausts every measure of hell that he can to try to destroy the character and the identity of God that's being formed inside of you. The whole thing he wants to do, that's his whole purpose. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And unforgiveness will creep in and deceive us. And we can think that we're okay and that we're all right in the way we feel again. I've been there. Especially in the midst of family betrayal. What about when people closest to you betray you? Did it ever happen to Jesus? It'll be the one who's dipped the bread in the dish. They're taking communion. And he has to look at Judas and say, what you do, do quickly. Betrayal. Betrayal. So we have to determine in our lives that we're going to live redemptively if we're going to be true contributors in our society. We're agents. Redemptive Solutions says, I'm an agent of change for good. I want to bring healing. I want to be one who advances the kingdom of God in the earth because I'm a representative for Christ. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to have a positive influence and a positive impact on those around me. Hallelujah. My dad used to say, and I, when he said it, I said, Dad, you're crazy. This can't be. He said this, well, I love everybody, and everybody loves me. And anybody that doesn't is not in their right mind anyway. But if you think about that according to Scripture, you can't be in your right mind if you're a Christ follower and not love your brother. What he meant by that was, if there isn't internal evidence that affects your behavior, then you haven't truly forgiven. If it doesn't affect my behavior, then it's just a man-made philosophy. So the question is, is there evidence? If not, Jesus says, produce fruit that's consistent with repentance. Matthew 3, 8. Demonstrate new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. Sometimes bitterness can blind us to the reality of another's repentance. Well, I can't forgive you because maybe the person's truly repented. God, open our eyes with discernment that we can truly see when a brother or a sister is truly repentant. Don't let it distort our view or our perspective. We're to submit to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 I'm destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God 
And I'm taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. So I'm forgiving redemptively. I'm doing it because Christ has commanded me to do it. I'm doing it so that I can receive the forgiveness that I extend in return. The act of forgiving. I'm learning to fall on my knees and say, God, bless my enemies. Thankfulness. It'll help you with your attitude. Bless those that despitefully use me and say all manner of evil against me falsely for your name's sake. God, you know that I didn't deserve your forgiveness. I didn't deserve your mercy. But I'm praying that you'll show that same forgiveness that you've shown me to the one that I'm choosing to forgive. Show that same mercy to me. Believe me, when you stand before him, you'll be glad you did. It's one of the hardest things for us to do in our culture is to hold on to righteous values without coming, becoming bitter. I'll give you an example. What we've just come through in the political climate of our country. Boy, we tore the prophets up. <laughs> Didn't we? I mean, there was people that blasted them. You got it wrong. You missed God. You did this. You're an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. I mean, people got resentful. They got angry. We got militant and we, we did all, all kinds of stuff. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness in our culture. In a politically charged climate, <clears throat> Jesus has to be Lord over all, in all, and through all. One of the hardest things for us to do is to minister to a group of people without picking up offenses. Some of the things I'm saying here today may be offensive to you. The good news is, if you embrace Jesus as a Christ follower, you've already forgiven me. It's real quiet. But I've predetermined that I'm going to live in a posture of forgiveness. I'm going, to I'm going to provide redemptive solutions in my culture. It's difficult to minister to rich people and not be offended at those who don't work. It's difficult to minister to the poor without being offended at the rich. It's difficult to minister to adults who do not value the lives of young people. As well as it's difficult to minister to young people who have no respect for adults. 
Isn't it interesting to note that God doesn't have opinions? He has truth. And truth is always right. The enemy doesn't care what your opinion is as long as he can get you to leave the character of Christ in order to defend your position. Did anybody hear that one? That was a nugget. That's why I wrote it down. The enemy doesn't care what your opinion is as long as he can get you to leave the character of Christ in order to defend your position. I'm right, and I know I'm right. And I'm going to be right. I heard a pastor say one time, well, okay, do you want to be right or righteous? Wow. I'm defending my position. I'm right. But I want to be righteous because I don't want to jettison the character of Christ that's at work in my life. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I was thinking Dennis was going to preach my message this morning when he got up and started reading Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. I'm landing the plane. So then strengthen hands that are weak and knees that tremble. Cut through and make smooth straight paths for your feet that are safe and go in the right direction so that the leg which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather may be healed. Continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will ever see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of God's grace, that no root of resentment springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. And see to it that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that later on, when he wanted to regain title to his inheritance of the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no opportunity for repentance. There was no way to repair what he had done, no chance to recall the choice he had made, even though he sought for it with bitter tears. Wow. There is a defiling effect of a person on another, But I'm saying to you this morning, body of Christ at heart of the Father, the Lord is taking us to a deeper dimension. Did anybody hear me? The Lord is taking us to a deeper dimension. When we address this topic of forgiveness, he's saying, I want you to love well. I want you to serve well. Serve one another in love. I want you to care for the needs of each other. But we cannot survive if we're continually picking up the offenses of others and we become defiled. Here's a nugget for you. If you eat the meal of criticism and accusation, you get spiritual food poisoning. If you eat the meal of criticism and accusation, 
you get spiritual food poisoning. And as I said a moment ago, I know there are untold stories of all kinds of hurt and unforgiveness and pain. Stupid things. But when people do stupid stuff to you from now on, just tell them, take your shovel to the shed. I'm not going to jettison my report, my, my reward for your evil report. Because God has the last word. Amen? Philippians 4, 8. What do I do? I don't rebuke someone. I replace. If someone's trying to put poison into my container, into my spirit, I'm going to replace it. What do I do? Paul gave you the prescription. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. This whole chapter is my, is my golden text of Scripture because... I don't want to posture myself in a place where I set myself up for the trap of the enemy. He says, finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome, whatever is lovely and brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Plant it there. <laughs> this one blew my mind when I thought about it. You can only plant a thought where there is no thought. Hmm. I just feel the Holy Spirit in this room. I sense His presence among us. I sense there are people that need to forgive. Need to let go of your past. I sense there are people who've experienced unbelievable pain and unbelievable hurt. You've been used and abused. You've been thrown under the bus. You've been run over so many times you've got tire tracks on your back. It hurts. You've been betrayed. It's painful. But the Lord and Savior that you and I say we loved and served hung on a tree I heard one brother say the other day, he said, he said to the father, Father, when I go and become the sacrifice for all humankind, he said, I don't know, I, I, may, I may not be able to fulfill everything that you've tasked me to do. He said, so in order to seal the deal, I want you to nail it to a tree. And they nailed him there. He was past the point of no return when that happened. And when that happened, he looked down from that tree 
And he made the most astounding statement that has reverberated through the annals of time. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. They're not in their right mind. I've come as the very express love of you, Father. Yet they've rejected me. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. That's the same kind of forgiveness that your Father and Son and Holy Spirit are beckoning us this morning and calling us to forgive them. Lord, I've been hurt. I've been wounded. It, it's painful. It hurts. Forgive them. Father, would you forgive them? I'll tell you, it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do when the Father said, do you really want to release this? Do you really want to jettison your past? Do you really want to get rid of the hurt and the pain? Bless them. Pray for them. Love them. Oh, God. God. I'm agonizing with that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, I'm agonizing with that hurt. And I hear it coming back from you this morning. But you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how awful it was. But the Holy Spirit says, are you... Are you greater than your Lord? Oh my God. How sobering. How deep it cuts to the very core of who I am. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. This is the place the Lord's led us to this morning. We're going to end this morning. I call it, we call it communion, but it's called the meal that heals. The meal that heals. For Scripture says to us, before you partake of such a meal, you ought to examine yourself. Examine your heart. Examine your motives. Examine your spirit. Make sure that there's nothing there that comes between your relationship with your master and with your savior. And as you eat and drink of this meal, don't eat and drink unworthily, but having examined yourself and repented and asked for forgiveness, you're now in a redemptive place that you can receive the body and the blood of the Lord. And his sacrifice for you. And as you do, you ought to think, God, I'm eating and drinking healing in my body. And I'm going to live from this day forward in a redemptive posture. That as I advance the kingdom in this world, I'm on the job, I'm advancing the kingdom. Why? Because I'm living in a redemptive posture. There's people under the sound of my voice. You don't want to go to work tomorrow because the place you're working in, well, it's like hell. You don't want to go there. 
You know how to turn it around? Do what Ray and Darlene do. I'm calling you out, Ray. He goes, oh, my God, what's he fixing to say? You know what they do? You walk up to their place of business and there's a sign in the window that says, prayer available here. If you want prayer, walk in. Well, one day I walked in. Ray comes in the other door. I come in the front door. He's coming in the side door. He looks and goes, glory to God, brother. I feel the Holy Ghost. I said, whoa, come on, somebody. You're going to get prayed for. Start a prayer meeting at your place. Let's eat the meal that heals this morning. Is that okay? Can we do that? The meal that heals is going to bring freedom. I just want to release freedom over this body this morning. Freedom. Freedom. I'm saying it kind of low tone this morning because I don't want to scare everybody. All right? But I, I, it's, it's resounding. It's, it's reverberating in my spirit. Freedom. Don't you want to live free? Don't you want to live free? I'm telling you, it's the most wonderful place to be in Christ. It's the most wonderful place you can ever be in Christ is freedom. 